Hi, I'm Ezekiel. And I'm Andy, and this is the Accented Philosophy Podcast brought to you by dailyphilosophy.com. Every Tuesday, we discuss and explain the deeper issues behind the news so that you can understand the real problems and make better decisions in your own life. Today, we talk about vaccination passports. Are they a good idea? What are the arguments for and against them? Should they be banned or should we all get one? Listen on to find out. Um, yeah, so I think we can start uh, giving a few examples. The example people talk about the most is example of Israel, uh, where they have this green pass. Uh, and they have, I think, vaccinated almost half of their population. Um, so if you have this green pass, which you can have on your phone, I think, it shows that you have either been fully vaccinated or you have recovered, I think, from the disease. And if you have this pass, you can then uh, pretty much have a normal life, go to restaurant, go to the gym, go to concerts. Right. And, and there are two uh, aspects of this, right? There is the one is that you can live inside of Israel in a particular way. And the other is also that it has an effect on travel, right? Exactly. You can travel to Greece and Cyprus and so on. Yeah. Uh, and about travel, um, some airlines have said that they may actually require some kind of green passport as well to be for people to be able to get in the in the plane. Um, and maybe we we could talk about um, the case of Hong Kong, because this is where we both are at the moment. Um, yes. Where you starting from, I think, the end of this month, um, you can go to Singapore if you are fully vaccinated without um, going to quarantine when you come back because the Hong Kong currently has a 21-day uh, mandatory quarantine policy uh, and you have to quarantine in a hotel, not at home. Right. So, so But it seems that, that the philosophical problems are different when we talk about um, tra international travel from when we talk about things like access to restaurants and schools and universities and so on, right? There, there are different problems there, aren't there? Yes, there are. So obviously it's different not to be able to travel, go on vacation and not being able to potentially get a job or buy something or just leave your house and visit your parents, Uh, or do the things you genuinely enjoy in life, like going to the gym or, or to restaurants. Right. Um, but, but then there is also the, the other side, right? We have these countries or these places that don't want vaccination passports. And one example is Florida, right? Where they uh, said, where they have a ban, you know, they said they, they, they don't want to introduce any vaccination passports. And then we have the WHO, which said, which recommended not to introduce requirements. Um for two reasons. One is that it is not sure how efficient the vaccination is, and the other is that there is a limited availability of vaccines internationally. Yes, uh, and I think uh, France as well has, the, the, the French um, prime minister has said that there will never be a passport or a requirement to be vaccinated to go to a restaurant, for example, because, well, first of all, France doesn't have Uh, enough vaccines for everybody. So it's only people who are, <clears throat> who are above uh, 60 years old, I think, who can get vaccinated. So obviously it would be a problem uh, regarding equality here. Yes, and this also seems to be a problem with Israel. So from what I saw that in Israel, you get this uh, passport only if you are registered with an uh, Israeli company, an insurance company. Yes. Um, and this might be a problem for um, people who are temporarily there or uh, workers who don't have an insurance, right? So this is another yes. problem. Yeah, are these passports available to everyone equally? Mm. Um, and I think for the case of Israel, um, the app that you have to download is in Hebrew only, which could also pose mm -hmm. uh, a problem potentially. Um You also have to be a, uh, a citizen. Uh, for for example, here in Hong Kong, we don't have to be a permanent resident to get the vaccine. We can get it if we are um, in Hong Kong for whatever reason. Um, right. There's no requirement of citizenship. Right. And, and then we also have Canada, which is perhaps more surprising uh, because you would expect perhaps Canada to not oppose this. But... Yeah. Um, 
their prime minister said that uh, people should be free to decline a vaccination for personal reasons uh, or for health reasons. And then they shouldn't be disadvantaged because of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which leads to the question of, you know, the fairness of a potential requirement to be vaccinated. Um, depend, you know, uh, according to who has access to the vaccine uh, and also just the general question of should a vaccine be mandatory? Should we force people to be vaccinated or should we restrict um, the access to necessary goods or close to necessary goods um, to people who are not vaccinated. Okay, let me very briefly ask you something, because now this, this fits so well uh, to what you say here. Um, we have a similar thing with mandatory education, right? Yes. So we say that everybody should go to school um, until some age of, I don't know, 16 or something uh, in most countries or 14. Everybody's required to go to school. And how does this relate with this argument about minorities? You, because the argument was that perhaps minorities don't have access to the vaccine um, and therefore they shouldn't be disadvantaged uh, when they don't get the vaccine. Uh, now, we are not talking about other countries. We are inside the same country, right? And mm. um, then with school, it is perhaps similar, right? Minorities are also disadvantaged with access to schools. Uh, often, you know, schools in some areas are worse schools or um, people who, who work, perhaps they don't have enough time to, to do homework with their children and they're disadvantaged in this way. But still, we think that uh, making schooling mandatory is actually good for these minorities because it, it gives them access to schooling, which later uh, can lead to them having better lives than if they were left, you know, without the schooling. <clears throat> so can we not have a similar argument um, in favor of vaccinations to say that um, just forcing all these people, including the minorities who don't want it to take the vaccine, will actually um, give them an advantage. It makes it makes it possible for them to travel. It makes it possible for them to to not get sick, you know, which is also a problem with minorities, especially if the if they don't have um, health insurance that is uh, very good. Uh, the getting sick might be a problem, right? Or they, they might be out of work and then they don't have the income from the work. So what do you think about this parallel between uh, mandatory schooling and mandatory vaccination when we talk about minorities? Okay, um, so I don't, I think we have to start from the assumption that if the vaccine is to be mandatory, it has to be, everyone needs to have equal access to it, first of all. So if minorities or certain groups in general, um, even just, you know, groups, people uh, who are under a certain age, if they don't have access to the vaccine, it obviously would be unfair to restrict access to uh, places to these people. Um, so, but here I think the question is simply whether we're okay with, um, you know, the government or whatever external entity uh, uh, imposing things, some requirements on us so that we can live our life, basically. Um, are we okay with this? Is this a problem? Is this something that violates our personal freedom, whether we're a member of a minority or not? And well, if uh, we don't think that is a problem, we can actually think of it as, like you said, um, um, a tool for some empowerment. You know, it gives you the capacity to do things you were not able to do and that you are not right now able to do. Because here, if we just think of the current situation, we are in a situation of unfreedom because there's many things we want to do we can, that we cannot do. So this vaccine is actually giving us a green pass um, to the, all these things. It, it's giving us literally more freedom. You can question the condition of that freedom. Do you think these conditions are fair? Um, do you think we should have um, access to freedom um, because we meet certain conditions or is it unconditional? 
Okay. Okay. So this brings us to this question of freedom, right? And this is something we wanted to talk about um, because freedom has different meanings. You can see freedom as something positive or as something negative. Would you like to say something a little about these different dimensions of freedom? Yeah. So um, you basically have traditionally two schools of thoughts when it comes to freedom. You can think of freedom negatively as the absence of something, um, typically the absence of interference, um, the absence of obstacle between you, your desires, and the object of your desire, basically. Um, and this is a traditional way of thinking about freedom, which, come, which goes back to Hobbes, who uh, has a very strict negative theory of freedom. He really thinks that anytime you're stopped from doing anything you want, um, you are unfree. And according to this, even any, any sort of law and regulation is a violation of freedom. So this is Thomas uh, Hobbes, right? This is the, yes. the one with the social contract, right? Yes, exactly. And he's actually okay uh, if we talk about his, uh, his political theory. He's okay with people giving away some kind of freedom, this kind of freedom, so that they gain uh, security in, in return from, from the state. Obviously, he was writing at a very different time, and he has quite an absolutist view on what, uh, how much power the, the state should have. But yeah, it really compares um, freedom to this water that is being stopped by a wall, and basically any sort of wall is uh, a limitation on your freedom. Um, and then you can think of freedom in a more positive way, which is the capacity to do something. It's um, freedom to instead of freedom from something. So according to this, freedom is the capacity to do something. And this capacity, um, well, you may reach it uh, because you have certain access to different things or because you meet certain conditions um, personally, like being able to think rationally, being able to identify the things you want, uh, and then being provided with the tools to get the things you want. Um, so, so, so let us let us briefly explain this a little more. Uh, how does this apply to vaccinations? Because it seems, if you if you just think about it superficially, it seems like it's more or less the same. If I say um, I, I have the freedom uh, to get, let's say, a glass of water, then this is a kind of positive freedom. But I can also put it negatively: I have the freedom from interference uh, in my process of getting the water. So how are these things really different? It seems like it's just a different way of phrasing the same thing, right? Yeah, so uh, some people have said that actually this dichotomy is not as relevant as um, typically thought. Uh, but there's still a difference in, in that, well, in a ne negative way, no one is stopping you from having the water. Uh, but let's say no one is stopping you from having the water. You're free from, you know, negatively but you are, for example, uh, disabled and you cannot uh, walk and the water is in a table that's uh, two meters away from you and you don't have access to the water, although nothing, no one is stopping you. So you're still unfree from a positive sense because you don't have the capacity to right. get the things So, so this means the positive requirement would be stronger. It would be asking, let's say, the state to actually help you get the water yeah. Right to to provide yeah, positive yeah. conditions for you. So yeah, how does this you, apply to the vaccination now? Why why is this relevant for the vaccination passport? Can you briefly uh, make an example, you know, to show how this this positive and negative thing applies to the vaccination passport topic? So I think one could say well, if one would um, if one is a defender of negative strict negative freedom, one could say that the state is imposing something that you don't necessarily want. So the state is directly interfering with your freedom to do whatever you please by imposing this condition. Although uh, you could also argue that uh, the state is not coming to your house and vaccinating you. You're free not to leave your house if you don't want to get vaccinated. So you remain negatively free if you just stay home. Um, but obviously you lose access to a lot of things, things that you would consider essential to your life. Um, from a, I think it's more the, the vaccine 
gives you access to positive freedom in in the sense that well it does um you know bring you the capacity to have access to whatever you want um given that we are not in a in a situation of positive freedom here because we don't have so many of our capacities are being restricted um so well here you it all depends on your view on freedom and what you value most do you value uh, more your right to be completely free to do as you please without any restriction and without any condition or are you okay with having certain conditions so that you're maybe even more free to do more things given that you're pretty much uh, unfree to do anything I mean you're completely restricted in your freedom at the moment right and and this seems to also be a bigger discussion about what the role of the state is if if the state is just an institution that makes sure that nobody is interfering with your freedoms this is one thing but you could say the role of the state is much more than this the role of the state is to provide positive uh, and a positive environment in which we can flourish as humans Right, yes. and, and this would somehow echo this distinction between positive and negative freedom. Yes. So if you're if you're okay with positive freedom and you see vaccines as a green pass to a lot of things, well, you think probably the state has a responsibility to give you this green pass because the state is responsible for your well-being in some ways. Um, if you think that the state is somehow a very separate um, entities to yourself. If you think that there is a dichotomy between you as an individual and the state or institutions, you may think that, um, well, you are responsible for your own decisions and the state has no role to play in this and should not influence the things you should be able to do or not. And you may have a problem with the fact that the state is here imposing a pretty strong condition. So this seems to be going into this distinction between individualist countries or cultures and more, um, one almost wants to say socialist, um, more, um, how would you say, uh, communalist perhaps, um, cultures. Like in China, you have this idea that the family is very important, it's more important than the individual. And the family provides the conditions for the flourishing of the family members. And so it wouldn't make any sense for a family member to dissociate themselves from the family because then they give up these conditions that are actually benefiting them. While in the United States, in this whole uh, gun uh, debate, uh, you have the idea that uh, the individual wants to have access to guns because they don't trust the state and yes. because their their individual freedom is more important than um, having a, a society that flourishes as a whole. Yeah, I think it, it all um, it's all related to the way you see the individual and the state and the relation between the two. In right. more Western societies, we tend to put the individual at the center and we tend to see the state as um, a threat to individual freedom or our wishes as, as people. Not, not necessarily. I mean, not necessarily. We, we, there is a difference, I think, between uh, Sweden, for example, uh, and the United States, right? Um, some yeah, I'm talking about a very uh, extreme view on, yeah. You're right. Obviously, we don't. Right, but some countries are more it. more socialist naturally, uh, or yes. have more of a of a socialist uh, makeup than others. Um, so I think if we talk about America and the the, the gun <clears throat> example, uh, it's a little bit the same. The, you need the guns to protect yourself from the potential threat of the government. And if that's what you think, well, you will probably have an issue with the government telling you to inject something in your body so that you can have access to things. Um, right. In more Eastern societies, it's very different, as you said, um, because people tend to see themselves as part of a, 
of a whole um, that functions if everybody respects the rule and fulfill their role uh, that have been attributed by either their family or the government. Um, so I know in Confucius um, phil Confucian philosophy, which I don't know a lot about, but in you have this idea that an individual flourishes is actually happy, reaches a, a form of well-being when they fulfill their role as, for example, a father or a brother or um, a, a member of society in general. So you don't reach this place of well-being by yourself, but in relation to the community you live in. And this is also true in Western philosophy, right? It's not only uh, the Chinese. You have the same idea as in Aristotle, right? Aristotle says that a human yes. being is a social being and he needs the society in order to flourish. Um, and also utilitarianism would not allow you to put the happiness of the one over the benefit of everybody. So yeah. you, you have this idea that, that we are part of a society and there is some value in, in the society or in the maximum of, of happiness across the society rather than in pursuing uh, the egoist benefit of the individual. Yeah, that's that's true. So maybe we could um, try to see where this individualistic idea uh, comes from philosophically. Yeah, so we have this idea of autonomy, right? The, the the capacity of people to make the best choices for themselves and to follow their own rule and to make their own decisions about their body and health. But I'm, I'm now thinking that perhaps this Autonomy is a little misunderstood if you put it like this, because it's this is often framed like this. They say um, autonomy means that I'm able to freely do whatever I like. But what we don't acknowledge when we say this is that what I am able to do is often, I, I am only able to do because I have a society around me that enables me to do these things that I want to autonomously do. Yes. Um, so that if we if we didn't have the supporting society around us, we would have much less of an autonomy, right? Being being cast alone on a desert island is the maximum of negative freedom, but it is not real autonomy because there your autonomy is limited to, to picking shells from the beach. You cannot do anything else. If I want the autonomy of becoming, let's say, a philosophy professor, then I can only do this with the support of the society. So is how important is this autonomy in, in your opinion? Uh, and how individual is it? And, and how much of autonomy is really, again, a collectivist thing, something that only works inside a society? Yeah, so I, I I am in favor of a more relational definition of autonomy, as you said, a kind of autonomy that depends on the various relationships we have with others and with society at large. I also believe that the state has some responsibility in promoting this kind of autonomy for people because it's not enough to leave people free to do whatever they please without providing any tool. Um, so, but I think, as you said, a lot of people may think of autonomy differently, simply as the capacity to not to be interfered with. So it would be simply negative freedom applied to individuals. Uh, I obey the law I prescribe to myself and no one can prescribe anything to me. And I am not obligated to follow any rule that I haven't approved of. But is this rational? Is this not mistaken? It seems like, you know, this is a position that is not rational because I cannot possibly survive alone, at least right. not um, in the way that we are used to living. I mean, right now we have Zoom here, which was made by other people. We are on a computer that was made by other people for us. Um, we we know what we know because we have been reading all these books which have been made and, and written and printed and distributed by other people. So if we did not have all these contributions of others uh, to our lives, uh, we wouldn't be able to exercise any aut autonomy beyond, you know, choosing um, where to make the next fire or something to, to warm ourselves in the night. Um, so is this yeah. is this really rational to say that we want autonomy from society when society is so important 
crucial for our way of life. No, I, I don't think it's rational. I don't think um, it is a correct way of thinking of autonomy. Autonomy is also different from mere freedom in the sense that it typically requires that certain conditions are met. At least a condition of rationality or being able to reflect on what your desires are and your choices are. So you may be free to 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 go buy drugs, for example. The drug example is is very common in the discussion on autonomy. You may be free to go buy drugs, but are you autonomous in doing so? Um, meaning, are you able to reflect on your choice to buy drugs and identify with it and say, well, I as an individual want to buy the drug and I um, I want to want to buy the drug. So this is this hierarchical um, definition of autonomy where you need to have second order uh, wishes on your first order wishes, basically. Right. So, I, I, but I think this needs a little more explaining. Um, yeah. Because like this, it's it's probably not easy to understand the, the idea that uh, when you are a drug addict, let's say, right, then you you have a wish to to use a drug to get your hands on the drug and to use that, but this wish is not really free because you are addicted and therefore your your wish, although it is your wish, is not really a free wish. So you need to, if you say that that we take the wishes of people seriously, we must make sure that they are really free in forming their wishes, right? I think this is what you. What you were saying? Yeah, and I think that's where that's where you draw the line between mere freedom and autonomy, and that means autonomy is a little higher. It's a little more demanding than than freedom, especially negative freedom, because you need to meet certain conditions. And that's where I think society and potentially the state play a role in making sure people are as rational and as possible, as able to reflect on their choices as possible. Also, as able to identify their wishes as possible, because you may argue that people don't always know what their true wishes are. So the idea of true wishes and true interests is also tricky. Uh, and that's what pro proponents of negative freedom are, are afraid of when we talk about positive freedom. This idea that to be free, you need to act according to your real self or your higher self. And, and right. not simply do anything you want. Right. And this 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 is interesting also, right? Because this brings us to this question of paternalism of the state, yes. the question uh, whether the state should act like a parent, you know, to uh, to force you to do particular things that are objectively good for you, although perhaps you don't understand this, right? This is the basic idea of yeah. uh, paternalism and, and regulations. Um, where the state forces you to do something for your own good. This is important, right? Not for the good of the state. So taxation, for example, would not be something where, where the state does something necessarily for your own good because the state also earns the money from the taxes. But um, the, the classical example of this is the seatbelt, right? You wear a seatbelt in a car and then uh, the state says you have to wear the seatbelt um, and if you don't, then we will punish you. But the state itself does not benefit from your wearing the seatbelt. The, this is a regulation whose sole purpose is to be beneficial to you, to the driver, right? Yeah, so I think the question of paternalism is, is crucially important here because I think this is the main reason people may be reticent to the idea of a mandatory vaccine because they think it's a paternalistic idea. It's basically the state acting like a parent and telling people what to do and what is good for them. I think there's a general, maybe even instinctive, natural reticence to that. We don't want to be treated as children. We tend to think we know what's good for ourselves and we're the, actually the best in the best position to know what's good for ourselves. Um, right, you may argue that we are not, but sorry. No, no, just uh, because before you said this thing about... Uh, having the right rational wishes for yourself and that this is important, the rationality of your wishes and that your wishes are truly your wishes and you're not mistaken about them. And you could say that with um, with the seatbelt example, this is a good example of um, a wish that somebody might have 
to drive without a seat belt, which is a wish. It is also understandable as a wish of the driver to drive, you know, freely without being restricted with the seat belt. But in reality, the driver can also be assumed, if he is rational, he can be assumed to also have the wish to not die in an accident. And that if this was put clearly to him, and if the driver was rational enough to recognize uh, what he's trading, the, the freedom of sitting there without a belt against the safety of not being killed in an accident, or, or some statistical you know, improvement of his chances to survive an accident, then uh, the rational driver would necessarily also agree to wearing the seatbelt. So this is what makes mm. this paternalism rational and it makes it justifiable that uh, we can assume that people who disagree with these regulations are actually mistaken about their own preferences. So if they if they had the right understanding of their own preferences, they would actually agree, right? I think this is the, the thought behind yeah. this paternalistic thing. And now the question is, how does this apply to vaccines? Um, if yeah. we are forced to be vaccinated, can we, in the same way, like we say with the seatbelt, can we in the same way argue that every rational person should actually want to be vaccinated for their own good or not? Yeah, I think you can actually be against any form of paternalism and against mandatory vaccination and still want to be vaccinated. You may recognize this is in your interest and you choose to be vaccinated but you just don't want the state to impose this requirement on you. Um, so I think for the seatbelts here, well, you have to have some kind of hierarchy of interests, as you said. Your, your wish not to die in a car wreck is bigger than your wish not to wear a seatbelt. In the case of vaccine, it could be the same. You prefer not to catch the disease and to be able to do a lot of things then you, you know, it overrides your desire uh, to be free not to get the vaccine. But um, I think here it's not only a problem of what the state may impose. You may still have a problem with that, with the state telling you what is best for you. It, it is also, it's not only about you. This is the difference with vaccines, between seatbelts and vaccines, because if you don't wear a seatbelt, worst case scenario, you will die. But if you don't get the vaccine, you may actually uh, infect other people. And this is not only an individual matter. So here you may think that although you don't like the idea of the state telling you what to do, you may have a duty towards other people, which has nothing to do with the state. So you may actually want to get the vaccine for this reason. Right. So, but before we go to the duty to the other people, I, I still wanted to, to clarify one thing about the what we talked about previously, um, this paternalist approach, um, this is the justification for this is based on the idea that it is objectively justifiable that doing something is in your own interest. It is known. Yeah. It is factual. And I think this is another problem, right, with a, with a parallel between the car and the vaccine that we generally agree that seat belts are beneficial and we can prove it. There are crash tests with, with dummies and we can watch these videos mm -hmm. and we can prove that seat belts are actually beneficial and, and they don't cause any harm. While with a vaccination, we might have a doubt about whether the vaccination is actually beneficial or perhaps it is harmful. And, and if it was harmful, then to even to a small extent, perhaps, then this would undermine this uh, paternalist justification, isn't it? Yeah. I think here people who are afraid of the vaccine may be afraid of a slippery slope. They may think that it starts with this vaccine. They may also fear the vaccine itself because they don't have the knowledge, and I don't have the knowledge to evaluate what the vaccine is made of and the potential consequences. I can only trust people who know about this. Because they don't know themselves, when a seatbelt is quite obvious, you know, you have the evidence in front of you that it's gonna work. Uh, when you like this evidence, you may simply be cautious of, and because you may, you know, um, you're, you're not sure if you, who you can trust on this issue. You may simply not want to take any risk. 
And I think a general point is about vaccines specifically is that you are healthy right now and you are being asked to inject something to your body that may or may not make you sick, maybe now, maybe maybe in 10 years, something you don't know much about and you feel like it's an unnecessary risk given that you're already healthy. So it's different than taking a drug when you're sick to feel better because you're sick, so you may as well do whatever you can to feel better. Here, it's this idea that I think people have kind of an instinctive reaction about that you're you're healthy and we are playing with your life in some ways and maybe forcing you to be in this risky position when you don't need to, to take anything. But we have also other parallel um, things like that. We we have, for example, the water drinking water contains fluoride, which mm-hmm. they tell us is good for our teeth. And this is also something we cannot individually verify, and we don't know really what happens in the long run if this perhaps you know causes some problems for some people after fifty years of drinking this fluoride, or. Um, if you think of nuclear power plants, you know, we have our government putting up these nuclear power plants uh, somewhere and then telling you this is safe and, and we certify that it is safe. And again, you trust the government that this thing will not explode and kill you. So we do have um, the necessity, right, in our organized society to um, believe the government and to trust its certification processes and to just say, you know, I cannot, I'm not in control of my diet, for example, when I, when I eat something, when I drink water from the, from the tap, or uh, when I eat anything, still I rely on the government's uh, food controlling agencies to make sure that the stuff in the supermarket isn't going to kill me. Again, I cannot verify this myself. I cannot go and chemically analyze every you know, package of of chips or something, I I have to rely on the government to make sure that what is in there in the supermarket is actually edible and healthy, or at least is not not obviously unhealthy. Um, So why is the vaccination such such a different case from all these other cases which we accept without thinking? So I think you may have two kinds of people, and here I'm generalizing, but you... I think you can say that some people who are very uh, against vaccines in general, not necessarily this vaccine, would also be very cautious about the water they drink, the food they eat, and whatever the government is saying. They may have a general suspicious uh, mindset, and they may be extremely um, regarding towards what they buy and check, you know, the ingredients of everything and use on the organic products and and all of that. Um, And then you may have people who don't do any of this, but still are afraid of this particular vaccine. That could be because of uh, the novelty of this vaccine, the fact that it just emerged, although the research to make this vaccine started maybe 20 years ago, I think, they started this new um, technique they're using. Um, you know, they, they tried it, they have tried it for a long, long time. So it, they did not create this vaccine in one year. But people get the impression that the vaccine was created in one year and they may fear that it was just too rushed. Uh, they may also... There may be some kind of irrational fear of vaccines, just like there's an irrational fear of needles or things like that. Just something that is directly injected to you. Uh, And you don't see it the same. You don't see an injection the same way as you see eating, going to McDonald's and eating food, for example. Um, Some people may, but I think most people don't. And that could simply be some, you know, related to some, childhood uh, trauma around needles, or I don't know, but it seems vaccines seem to be different for some reason. Right. And, and I mean, there are also vaccines that you take by swallowing something, right? There are, especially for children, uh, there are vaccines that can be swallowed. So perhaps these would not have the problem to the same extent as this one. Okay. Let's, let's briefly go back to your 
uh, argument you you started to explain just now because this is interesting because it avoids the whole paternalism dispute so you have this discussion of whether the government can force us to do things that are beneficial to us or not but then you just mentioned this other idea that we might have a duty uh, to protect others a duty of benevolence towards others and this would be something that that affects only me and other people and the government is completely out of that so this would be an interesting different approach that avoids this confrontation between individual and government Yeah, so I think you can be a strong libertarian, for example, and and still want to be vaccinated. Can you you briefly explain libertarian here? Yeah, so very briefly, you you think your personal freedom is above everything else and the government uh, is not legitimate in telling you what to do or restricting this freedom. So you typically want the government to stay as small as possible, you know, and only take care of things that individuals cannot take take care of, like, for example, the military or things like that. But you probably think that things like healthcare or education or any sort of services are better handled by people or by companies, private companies. And you think the market regulates itself and, and the government, every time the government interferes, it just makes things worse. Um, so I'm really like generalizing here. But I think you can hold this principle and still decide to get the vaccine, um, just like you could decide to give your money to charity, right? Because this is an individual choice. You're not being told to do so. You're doing it because you care about others. So you may also um, have this very strong desire to do good things, what you consider good things, charitable things. And yeah, I think you can avoid... He, but he, the problem is it's only charity, right? It's not something you have to do. It's not an obligation. And this is where you have to draw the line if you're a libertarian. Right. So back to this uh, idea of benevolence. So I perhaps uh, want to be beneficial to other people and therefore I take the vaccine because doing so prevents harm to others. And I might think that this is not something that the state imposes to me, but something that I impose on myself, that I feel that I have a duty to actually Mm -hmm. benefit others with the way I behave. How can we justify such a duty to be benevolent to others? Okay, so we can justify it um, if we use Kant's example, Kant's categorical imperative, for example, which says that you should treat others as an end and not as a means. Um, so every time you do anything that has to do with others, you need to consider whether you are using them to get something you want, or if you are acting in their own in their interest for their interest's sake, right? So here so, so treating decide. them as ends, excuse me, just to explain this a little, treating them as ends would mean that you you respect their own wishes and their own autonomy to make decisions for themselves, right? Rather yes. than seeing them only as means to your yes. own benefit. Yes. So you see everyone as equals and you see yourself as, you know, uh, at the same level of everyone else. And you think everyone has a dignity that is worth uh, respecting. Everyone has intrinsic worth. And everyone has autonomy and you should not step on anyone's autonomy. So you you should never do anything that would um, imply using someone for for your own sake. But, but, but now I could argue that when the state forces me to vaccinate, then the state is treating me again as a means to the health of everybody else. So my own autonomy is being trampled upon because uh, the state says that by vaccinating me, we prevent harm to others. But but then the state is treating me as a means, right, to, to the health of the society. Well, I think you can be a paternalist conscience and say, well, the state knows what is good for you and knows what you're, uh, how to treat you as an end, maybe better than you do. So by forcing you to do something, the state is 
treating you as an animal, as a means. Then if you have a very cynical view and you think it's all a big conspiracy and the state is working for big pharma, for example, you may think you are being treated as a means to big pharma, which, which would be the end. The state would um, you know, use you to get to this end of making a lot of money out of people being vaccinated. Right. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you would have what Kant himself would probably say, a very idealistic view of uh, personal freedom, where Kant would, Kant would say, you, you have to, the state cannot treat you as a means, he can, it cannot force you to do something, but you should force yourself because you realize that uh, we are all equal and therefore, it is your duty to be vaccinated yeah. in order to protect the interests of others, right? So Kant would yeah. probably only move the, the forcing agent from the state to yourself, right? Your own, own moral sense yeah. should be the thing that forces you to get vaccinated. Is this the case? Yeah, so for example, instead of making the vaccine mandatory, you could think of the state promoting vaccination, through a lot of incentives and trying to educate people about, um, you know, the, the benefits of the vaccination. So that would be different. And then people would be in the end choose, uh, free to choose whether they want the vaccine or not. Right. And, and now let's briefly move to what are we, with these vaccination passports, what are we allowed to regulate and what not? Mm -hmm. This is another kind of debate where we would be saying that perhaps some areas of public life can be regulated and perhaps they can even be uh, regulated with a vaccination passport. And I think even in Florida, they said that um, this ban on, on vaccination checks would not apply to healthcare facilities. So, for example, if you go to the hospital, if you work in a hospital, the hospital mm -hmm. can still re require you to show yeah. that you have been vaccinated. And so there seem to be um, different areas of public life that are treated differently. So you yeah. you work in a hospital is one thing. You have access to bars and restaurants and so on is another thing. Um, you are able to travel. Um, but then we also have things like attending schools. So we could say only students or only pupils, you know, of, of primary schools who are vaccinated um, are allowed to have physical access to school and all others can only visit school via Zoom. And now the question is, are these all equal? Should they be treated equally? Or are some of these restrictions more basic or more evil or, or more um, impactful than others? And should they be treated differently? So I think here we're going to have to have a discussion on what we value as people and what we think is an essential good and what is not. So you may think that traveling to another continent is not an essential good and could be restricted without anything, any big value being violated. But then when it comes to education or work, maybe even visiting your parents, you may think that this is something you need for your happiness and well-being. So it all depends on what we think we need for our well-being and also what we're entitled to. Are we entitled to have an education or do we need to meet some conditions? Actually, being vaccinated is a condition to go to school in most countries. Um, and we don't really have a problem with this. Right. So this, this points beyond this vaccination debate, uh, to the question, what makes a human life worth living? And yeah. what is our idea of, of what a human being is or what the conditions for human flourishing are, right? So you would say that we can more easily restrict freedoms that are not necessary for human flourishing but it is more difficult to restrict freedoms, it's more difficult to justify restricting freedoms that are essential to human flourishing. And so, like you say, international travel doesn't seem to be necessary. Um, people can and, and have, you know, for millennia, um, perfectly well live their lives within one village or within one city or one country, while 
something like access to school seems to be a very basic condition of individual flourishing, right? Yes, absolutely. And then you may have a problem with the, again, the state um, giving you the condition for, for all of this or the state determining what is essential to you. You may think international travel is essential to you. Maybe you're a, a travel blogger and this is your job. Or maybe it just makes you happy. And this is maybe you just want to do this and you think an essential aspect of your life is being able to do whatever you please. So this is where people may have a problem. We don't all agree on what is essential. Right. I mean, this seems to be stretching it, right? If you if you just say whatever I want to do is essential to me, this this I think stretches the meaning of essential too much, right? Um, yeah. Whatever probably. I want to do is not essential to me. So perhaps in a in a metaphor of food, uh, I might want to eat a steak now, but this doesn't mean that eating a steak is essential to my survival, right? I can equally well yeah. eat a piece of bread or something. So the essential is is always by its nature, uh, a limited, uh, reduced yeah. way of fulfilling some uh, desire or some some function of the individual. Um, so international think- travel doesn't seem to be essential. But now the question is, you know, there are all these in-between things like going to a cinema mm-hmm. um, or going to, to a bar or meeting people, mm-hmm. right? If yeah. the way we meet people physically is by going to restaurants or by going to bars, then we can ask is shutting this off now starting to infringe on something that mm-hmm. that should be an essential part of human well-being which is to yeah. the, the ability to socialize with others yeah. or is this not essential yeah so i think there's also a distinction between what's essential for survival and what's essential for well-being and you may argue that going to the pub and see your friends is not essential for survival but it's essential for your well-being. So if the state restricts your access to this, maybe the state then has the responsibility to provide an alternative. But how can we think of that? And what kind of uh, access do you have to that alternative without a vaccine, for example? So... Right, but this is what has been happening, right? With the school... um, States generally switched very quickly to schooling and and universities being on Zoom instead of uh, physical, uh, but they tried to save most of the beneficial effects and to to make sure that school still takes place and education still takes place. Mm. Um, And you could argue that in the um, age of social media, uh, even friendships to a large extent are online and um, it is not necessary to meet physically. Mm. So perhaps using these alternatives would make it possible to have the basic functions and the flourishing of the human being made yeah. possible, even though you cannot physically meet. Yeah. And then the vaccine, if you, I think one of the strongest arguments in favor of potentially mandatory vaccination is this idea that the vaccine will give you all these capacities that you need for your well-being. And this overrides the potential unpleasantness of having something imposed to you. Maybe maybe I'm not particularly pleased at the idea of the government telling me to, to take some drug, take a vaccine. But... Um, I prefer to do all this, to have all these capacities. They make me happier than staying at home vaccine-free. So so I choose this. Right. So what we did not talk about, uh, and soon we have to finish, obviously, but what we did not talk about yet are is the question if there are any particular conditions that we can put in place for the ability of a person to exercise their freedom. Because we presently, you know, there is this um, general feeling in society that everybody is equal and everybody's opinion is equally valuable. But this can also be questions, right? We can yeah. 
clearly say that um, if somebody is totally mistaken about something, then his opinion perhaps should not count. Mm. Um, or if somebody is, you know, crazy or deluded about reality, then their opinion should not count. Or if somebody has preferences that are uh, in some way perverted, right? If somebody likes to kill cats, then perhaps society does not need to respect the wish of this person to kill a cat yeah. and, and yeah. even provide him with cats. But uh, we are um, okay with saying that, no, you're not allowed to kill cats because or, or eat cats. I mean, we, we have this example, right? People are, uh, there's recently been a discussion in China also where they um, used in the past, you know, to eat dogs, for example. Uh, and there was a backlash against that. And they said that um, uh, they should be outlawed because we don't want to be eating dogs. But now if somebody has a preference for dog meat, uh, do we need to respect this preference or not? And in the same way, we can ask if somebody has a preference for not being vaccinated, do we need to respect that? And what if this person is completely mistaken? And who decides who is sane enough to have his opinion respected? Yeah, so these are very big questions, obviously. I don't know if we want to go into the relativist conversation, um, but if we don't want to be relativistic and if we want to impose some conditions, I think, well, because I don't, again, I don't know anything about how vaccines work. So I obviously follow the advice of people who know. So you have to appeal to some kind of authority on this matter. Um, but obviously even authority figures disagree so how do you do this then about you know obviously you must evaluate whether uh someone's opinion is rational um or is supported by evidence when a conspiracy theorist um you know gives an opinion that obviously makes very little sense and is not supported by data then it's uh, it's easy to to say well no you don't have you should not be able to have your opinion I mean you should you should be able to express your opinion but we don't have an obligation to act according to it or uh, pretend that your opinion is as valuable as another opinion that is supported by data. Um, when it's a matter of preference, it's very different. It's trickier, obviously. So, like for the dog, but this meat. seems to be this seems to be a continuum, right? It's not only um, respecting the opinion or disregarding the opinion, but you can say this is a continuum. We we have different levels of education. Uh, some of us have more, and some of us have less. Or in particular areas, we have more or less. You know, we too know a lot about philosophy, but perhaps we have no idea about how vaccines work, like you said. Mm. So, uh, should where should this limit be put for you know respecting one's opinion, and then this also seems to threaten the whole idea of democracy, right? Because I can yeah. uh, expand this argument. I can say uh, if really people should know what they are deciding and if I make a requirement that uh, people should have sufficient education to decide things, then I must dismantle much of our democracy that we have today mm -hmm. because we are always deciding on questions by voting. We are always deciding on questions that we actually cannot judge. Uh, very few people among us can really judge international relations or how they should develop in the next 50 or 100 years. Um, very few people can judge uh, whether nuclear power is a good or a bad thing and what the real risks are. Uh, very few people can judge uh, all kinds of things, right? Um, yeah. Vaccinations and so on. So the um, global warming, you know, is another thing which mm -hmm. is extremely complex and most people have no, really no um, good, uh, solid knowledge to judge that. And so should we, for example, have a democracy where you get a different number of votes depending on your education or something like that? I mean, that's maybe what Plato would say, although he would, he's against democracy altogether. But if you want to kind of accommodate the two ideas, 
you could come up with some kind of system like that. I mean, after all, isn't it the purpose of education to determine who's able to talk about something and whose opinion matters, right? Um, we give degrees to people so that we kind it's kind of a label that says, I know what I'm doing. Um, so it's a, it is unreasonable to think our opinion matters the same way. My opinion about vaccines is nothing compared to someone who has studied this for 20 years. Who is to determine this? We could say, we could simply refer to authority again and, and expertise and degrees. And though that seems to be unsatisfactory for people most of the time, um, for some reason. But we can also think of uh, in, in, um, in terms of consensus, whatever people seem to mostly agree on is the default truth that that's a possibility though it is also unsatisfactory for many reasons but in absence of an alternative uh, it seems to be what we should do um, then well i think yeah i think we it is unreasonable for people to demand that their opinion counts uh, that all opinions count the same way, have the same weight. About this voting thing, I, I'm not sure, and I don't, I don't think we have time to talk about the democratic aspect of this, but it is about democracy and it is about, you know, is there a, an intrinsic worth in people's opinion because they're people, you know? And you can think democracy is valuable because it is the expression of the people and the people has authority because it's they are the subject of whatever is going to happen. It's going to happen to them. But you can also think, well, actually, they're the least able to determine what's good for them. Yeah, so, this is a it's a complicated thing because yeah. it it also you know you have all these attempts at manipulation of the public um, where um, through social media and and we heard this uh, with Facebook in the past uh, multiple times right that yeah. uh, companies were trying to manipulate the outcome of uh, elections um, through social media and then this doesn't have anything anymore to do with knowledge or education or the individual uh, opinion of a person because this opinion is now manipulated and is not anymore a genuine opinion right so you you would then have to also distinguish you know is the is the opinion really free uh, or is this opinion the result of some uh, previous manipulation of this person yeah uh, and I think and, and conspiracy theories would also play into this, right? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the 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 only way, the only tool we have now to reduce this, you know, mistrust is to just simply promote some kind of education about all these issues. And I think that's where the state has a responsibility in trying to educate people as much as possible. So that we also reg and also regulate the amount of misinformation that goes around freely so but i think this obviously this kind of regulation should not be um you know done by someone by some individual or a group of individuals or private uh, corporation or whatever uh, it should be democratic in some way so it should be state-based but I mean, this is already what we're trying to do with general education. But I think I think this is pretty much the only tool we have. Right. So let's try to wrap this up um, and and come to a conclusion here. Um, so I think from what we said, perhaps we could conclude that vaccination passports are not necessarily evil. Uh, this is very carefully worded, you know, um, mm -hmm. as a philosopher should. Uh, mm -hmm. So vaccination passports are not necessarily evil, and they would perhaps be um, justifiable as long as the basic capabilities for the flourishing of human beings are respected. Um, so as long as what the vaccination passport provides access to or, or cuts access to is not something that is necessary for a good human life. So we could accept perhaps a vaccination passport that, uh, and this, this goes back also to Martha Nussbaum. We didn't mention the name, but she yeah. is a philosopher who um, 
has a theory about human capabilities, uh, particular uh, things that human beings should be able to do in order to lead a valuable human life, which would be something like, you know, finding a partner, being in love, um, having artistic uh, pursuits in your life, um, being able to express your opinion, being able to associate with others. So lots of things like this, you know, also with nature, having access to nature. But as long as these things are um, covered, then perhaps we could say, you know, restricting access to a swimming pool or restricting access to a bar or to a restaurant would perhaps be justifiable. Do you Would you agree mm -hmm. to that? Yeah, I agree that, I mean, this seems to be an interesting and relevant barometer of what is permissible or not. If a vaccine allows you to reach full capacity regarding these things that are essential to your well-being, a vaccine is probably morally acceptable, a mandatory vaccine. Then you may still have a problem with the state determining what's acceptable, I mean, what's essential to you or not. But maybe we need to bite the bullet and just agree that we are not always capable of determining ourselves and that we can accept that something else is telling us what we should have access to or not when it does, in fact, meet these requirements uh, of capacity. And I think the vaccine in general does promote positive freedom because it really allows you to do more things. Um, and I think we should maybe simply be, if someone has a real problem with the idea of positive freedom altogether, it will be very difficult for them to accept the requirement from the state that you must take the vaccine, but they may still take the vaccine by choice um, yeah, because they, they do rationally believe that it is the best choice for them. Right. And this would also satisfy Kant's uh, criterion of uh, being autonomous, right? We should yeah. more yeah. count on people's own rationality than on uh, ways to force them to do something, right? Okay, so uh, yeah, thank you. I think we we can finish here. Um, yes, thank you. And um, we will be back next week with another topic, which we will announce later, obviously. Okay. Um, okay, so thank you and bye-bye. Thank you, bye-bye.